straks bij je. Hello and welcome to the Nirvana Principles show. My name is Dr. Hassan Malik. Welcome to season two of our show. Um, some updates for the listeners. I've been up to some interesting things in the time I've been away. I've moved to London and now I'm called a specialty registrar. I'm a higher trainee, so career advancement for me. Uh, also, the show has grown. I'm, I'm so pleased with uh, the number of listeners we have and the feedback we've gotten for our last season. Uh, so thank you for your recommendations for new shows as well. We'll try and catch as many of them as we can. We're also on YouTube and TikTok. So I've heard that nowadays uh, TikTok is the way to go. A lot of my friends nowadays come to me and tell me about how they've diagnosed themselves with one condition or the other after uh, seeing something on youtube or tiktok so i thought i'm a psychiatrist i could i could maybe talk about some of that stuff so feel free to check it out tell me what you think we're also coming off some collective conscience sessions which were music only and i'm pleased to share that our episode on video games was number one on the mixed cloud charts 
So please do check that out as well and let me know what you think. Since I've moved here to London, I've met some interesting doctors and one of the feedback for a new show was on ADHD, uh, which is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And I'm very pleased to introduce our guest today, who's going to be talking about ADHD. She's an advocate for doctors. She works with the British Medical Association, is involved with them. And she, I feel advocacy is a strong part of her life because she also works with forensic psychiatry and with court services and the interface between uh, mental health as well as the law. Finally, she also has a personal experience with ADHD. Uh, she has a bit of insight, which you might not get from a regular what should I say, psychiatrist, I think nowadays lived experience is very important to us just to understand that beyond just checklists and scales and medication, there is a person behind a label. So our guest for today is Dr. Mavi Kapana. Welcome. Hi, thank you. So tell me uh, what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so I think we're going to cover quite a lot of stuff around the topic of ADHD. Um, so I think we'll start off talking about ADHD and what it is, um, get, kind of get some of that stuff out of the way that isn't the, the meat of what we're going to talk about, and then move on to some of the more juicy aspects around what the impacts of ADHD can be, its interplay with social structures and substance misuse, and then dispelling some of the conversations that have been had over the last few years with um, high IQ and ADHD and the, the interplay between that. The part of this show is also not simply, we're not just a couple of doctors sitting here telling you, you know, or just teaching you about ADHD. There are new frontiers in this conversation and there are elements which are, which maybe have a lot of media coverage these days. For example, hyperfocus is one of them or how people with who are super intelligent are still um, experiencing the symptoms of ADHD. And there's a disparity between the effect of the disease itself and what we do to hide or mask those symptoms. Um, so we're going to go to our first song. This is, uh, we're going to start off a bit badass today. So we're going to go to Kendrick Lamar with ADHD. <laughs> Uh-uh, fuck that, eight doobies to the face, fuck that, 12 bottles in the case, nigga, fuck that, two pills in the halfway, nigga, fuck that, got a high tolerance when your age don't exist, man, I swear my nigga tripping off that shit again, pick him up, then I sit him in cold water, then I order someone to bring him Vicodin, hope they take the pain away from the feeling that he feel today, you know when you're part of section 8 and you feel like no one can't relate, cause you are, you are, a loner, loner, man, Marijuana in the office make you stronger, stronger I'm in the house party, tripping off my generation Sipping cough syrup, blank as water Never no pancakes in the kitchen, man Not one of our lives is caught up in the daily superstition That the world is about the end Gives a fuck, we never do listen Unless it comes with an 808 A melody and some hoes Playstation and some drink Technology bought my soul Looking around and all I see is a big crowd That's product of me and it probably relatives Relevant for a rebel drink Yep, the president is black, she black Purple label on her back, but that dab is like blue. She take it straight to the head. Then she look at me. She got ADHD. Eight doobies to the face. Fuck that. Twelve by 
bottles in the case, nigga, fuck that Two pills in the halfway, nigga, fuck that Got a high tolerance when your age don't exist Like, whoa, 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 whoa Don't got a limit, just give me some more, baby Don't got a limit, just give me some more, baby They always tell me they need each need it And then she started Then she started feeling herself like no one else in this apartment Beg your pardon, oh I rap baby How old are you? She say 22, I say 23 Okay, then we all crack babies Damn, why you say that? She said, where my drink at? I'ma tell you later, just tell your neighbors And the police relax I stood up, shut the blind, closed the screen Jump on trying, made to the back where she reside Then she said, right between the lines Yep, hope that I get close enough when the lights turn down And the fact that she just might open up When a new foe start to drown Everybody and I know the both of us Really deep in the mood now It's nothing we can do now Somebody walk in with a pound Of that Bay Area Kush She looked at me then looked At it then she grabbed it Then she said get it understood You know why we crack babies Because we born in the 80s That ADHD crazy Hey doobie to the face Fuck God Twelve bottles in the case Nigga fuck God Two pills in the halfway Nigga fuck God Got a high tolerance When your age don't exist Like whoa whoa Welcome back. You're listening to the Nirvana Principle Show. I have here with me Dr. Mavi Kapana, who's a fellow psychiatrist, and she's going to be talking about ADHD. Mavi, it's, there's been a lot of conversation around ADHD. Can you tell me what it is from someone from a specialist point of view? How, how do you define it? Sure. So um, ADHD, so Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, it's a condition that affects behavior and cognitive function. So that's the functioning of your brain and kind of how we relate to one another and how we process information and learn. Um, and usually, so it's diagnosed in children, that's where we see it the most um, in the diagnosis. It's diagnosed kind of not by your GP, but it has to be referred to a specialist service. And you have to have had the symptoms kind of most days, every day for about six months. Um, and have to have had it start before the age of 12. And the really key thing with ADHD is it has to be across settings. So for example, in home and at school, um, or you know, it, when, you're, when they're going on play dates with other children, it has to be consistently across settings. So that, and that's done so that it's not just, you know, they're being bullied at school and that's why they're behaving that way, or they're having issues at home, maybe there's some kind of parental disagreements leading to that behavior in just one setting. So that's a key element of ADHD diagnosis. Um, and the other aspect is that it has to be affecting the lives of the individual affected considerably. 
both kind of socially, academically, or as adults in a, at an occupational level. Um, and the symptoms can't just be explained by some sort of developmental delay or disorder or some other mental illness. What do you mean by developmental? So, for example, someone who also has autism, um, mm -hmm. are these symptoms because that they, they have kind of a, a delay in, in their functioning or a delay in their development? Can it be explained by some other disorder um, that has to be ruled out as well? It's interesting that you mentioned autism. And I think some of I did feel some similarities that even in autism, some symptoms or some features have to be present before a certain age most times um and you know it's it's common sense i guess you don't need you don't need a doctor to tell you that when you're growing up that's when your brain and your mind your body is forming so just like any other experience it affects how you act or react in the future yeah and i think there are as you say specific things that people look out for um so so there and you know it's good to kind of dispel quickly the idea that you only have to be a super hyperactive child or person in order to have a diagnosis of ADHD. There's different subsets and one of them is the hyperactivity and the impulsive element. So that's, you know, someone who's not really able to sit still, fidgeting, not able to concentrate. Um, you know, you're seeing the children in school putting their hands up very quickly before the teacher's even finished asking the question, they're always talking, they're kind of over-inclusive in their conversation, they're switching from topic to topic um, and interrupting a lot. And there's this impulsivity element to the hyperactivity that is going to come up later in, in our conversation where there's very limited sense of danger. So you see children or, uh, you know, just saying, right, I'm just going to cross the road. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cross the road and this is when I'm going to do it. And they kind of ignore the other other elements that might be dangerous. And in adults, we'll, we'll touch upon this later on. There's kind of that impulsivity towards risk taking, uh, both in personal decisions, um, such as getting into relationships or how they interact with others, but also in personal ones, such as getting a mortgage or using drugs. Um, so that's kind of usually what we think of when we think of ADHD, but there's a whole other subset, which is the inattentiveness element, um, where it's just, you know, making these careless mistakes, not really paying attention, very easily distracted, um, kind of moving from task to task, especially when the tasks are pretty tedious and they're not interested in them. And again, we'll touch on this when we discuss hyperfocus, which is a a relatively new area um, that's come about in, in, in the sphere of ADHD. Uh, very interesting. I, I mean, you, you were talking about uh, how it affects a person, I guess, in terms of what you see, but what is the internal milieu? Like, what is the internal experience of ADHD? Do you feel like you have ADHD or something's wrong? Or are you like, I'm myself? And what are these people? Why is everyone looking at me weird? Yeah, I guess that's a really interesting question. I guess it's it's a range, like like everything. Um, it, it's a spectrum. But in when I was in a clinic, kind of seeing a lot of children with ADHD, um, children kind of know that something isn't quite right because you know they're getting into trouble. 
they're kind of socially isolated by their peers, they're not popular with their peers, um, they're kind of lagging behind in school. It's really common for these children to also have kind of language and motor development delay. Um, and they're kind of having these secondary impacts to their ADHD that then lead to low self-esteem. So they'll come in and it's not unusual for them to say, I feel really unpopular in school, I'm isolated, I feel down, I feel anxious, I don't have much self-esteem and kind of what I want to do in the future. Um, and that's really common to see. So there is that element. Um, and I guess in adults, maybe less so, because as you say, people are just like, well, that this is who I am. This is this is how I, I've been my whole life. I alluded to it in while introducing you, but uh, you, you also have a close member of your family or you have lived with someone with ADHD. Can you tell me what your experience has been like? Yeah, so I think, um, so obviously, the, so the, my family member was diagnosed later in life when, when he was an adult. Um, and I think it was more like you were saying that it, he, he, he never even thought that he might have ADHD because it, it was just not something that was picked up when he was a child. And then obviously, knowing a psychiatrist, I was like, well, actually, a lot of these symptoms coincide and they've been there for quite some time. And I think it can be really difficult sometimes to live around someone that has ADHD because, you know, you're, you're, you're making lists, you're trying to support them and kind of sticking to a task, being somewhere on time. Um, and if you don't know that they're struggling with it because of ADHD, it can come across, you know, sometimes like a laziness or unwillingness to help, which can then kind of lead to issues within interpersonal relationships, which is one of the topics that I think we're going to talk about. You you talked about, uh, you know, it, like ADHD fine. So we, we understand what kind of symptoms there are, what's the experience like looking from the outside and maybe looking from the inside. What's treatment? Can we treat it? Is there a way to um, I feel like in psychiatry, we have one of two things that we can do. Either we can, we talk about cure, but it's more called remission as in how long you can be free of symptoms, free of the features of a certain condition. I, I don't want to see it as, I want to call it a disease because it's more like a dysfunction, it's more a disorder. That's, that's that it makes it difficult for you to live your life. So what can we do to help and do people who have ADHD, do, do they feel they need help? Yeah, I mean, so the, the medication is the first line used. Um, and, you know, ADHD medication is a stimulant medication. Um, so the, the most common one is methylphenidate, which is stimulant medication. Um, Ritalin. It, yes, <laughs> Ritalin. Especially popular. In med students. Um, yeah. Yes, and in American uh, universities, it's a, a, a favorite drug, um, but it's quite counterintuitive because I remember explaining it to families in clinic and being like, well, you know, this person has, they're super hyperactive, they can't sit still, I'm going to give them a stimulant medication. And you have these mothers and fathers kind of looking at each other like, oh my God, that makes absolutely no sense like this doctor has gone absolutely crazy <laughs> um but so it's completely counterintuitive but how it works is that 
there's kind of parts of the brain that are involved in concentration, attention, hyperactivity, that have a deficiency in some of the hormones and chemicals um, that, are, that, that, that make the brain work the way it does. And the role of some of those hormones and chemicals and neurotransmitters, as we call them, especially dopamine, is that it has kind of an inhibitory function as well as a stimulating function. Yeah. And if the dopamine levels are low in certain parts of the brain, then actually that inhibition is gone. And so that's why you get the symptoms of they're too hyper, they're too impulsive, because they don't have that chemical stopping it and dampening it down when it's meant to. So by actually increasing the production of that stimulating neurochemical, you're actually then increasing their ability to focus and pay attention and be less impulsive. Yeah, like increasing power to the off button. It's like, but but you're increasing the power. It's like, no, but it's... It, it'll increase it to stop something rather than to start something. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. So methylphenidate, that's one of the ways to yeah. treat someone. And like you said, it's a stimulant. Other, I, I know I, I did a, uh, I did a rotation. So we have like six months in, in a learning disability and child psychiatry post. And I was like, wow. ADHD, just four drugs, that's it. That's that's all we need to, that's all we prescribe. Um, so usually for psychiatrists, drugs are the way to go. It's usually a bunch that you need to know. But um, but do you think it's, it's just that, just four drugs or just stimulant drugs, that's it that we can use? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm never one to say, you know, it's just this. I think that's, uh, that's naive. But, you know, the, the drugs in ADHD are super effective. They're about 80% effective. So they're good drugs. But at the same time, um, you know, there's a lot of work to do around the medication, you know, adherence. So how often somebody is taking the medication as they're meant to is still quite low. And that's because, you know, there's side effects. There's the social stigma of someone being on medication. You know, if you think of a teenager telling their friends that they're taking a stimulant might not be something, you know, might make them really popular because they think, oh, God, you have the good pills. Let's share them around. But at the same time, it might make them seem like they're damaged. They need medication and it might or isolate someone who already feels isolated even more. So there's a lot of work that goes around kind of family therapy, family support, like the education around why you have to take the medication, why it's helpful, and also looking at kind of ways to teach the person, you know, try and do short stints of concentrating, take a break, shift your focus, and ways to work with their kind of ADHD diagnosis rather than against it. And also identifying if there's any other comorbid disorders. So like we say, is there anxiety? Is there depression? Is there substance use? And kind of working with those as well. So it's it's more a whole rounded approach with the medication being a, a key bit. I think um, that's a good time to head on to our next segment. But before that... We have a quite a cool song. I think, Mavi, I was uh, <laughs> super pleased. I feel over the recent episodes, I've been so lucky to have guests who have exquisite musical taste. You want to you wanna tell me uh, about the song that you recommended? Yeah, so it's a song by Macklemore called 10,000 Hours. 
um, and I really love it. Apart from it being a super catchy song, it touches on kind of substance use, dealing with trying to be successful despite having mental health issues and comorbid substance use. Uh, and it's just, yeah, I find it incredibly inspiring. Um, and yeah, I really hope you enjoy it. Uh, I hope the guy decides to talk through um. If the people decide to walk with them Regardless of pitchfork, cosigns I've jumped Make sure the sound man doesn't cock block the drums Let the snare knock the air right out of your lungs And those words be the oxygen Just breathe, amen Regardless, I'ma say it Felt like I got signed the day that I got an agent Got an iTunes check, shit, man, I'm parent About damn time that I got out of my basement About damn time I got around the country And I hit these stages I was made to slay them, 10,000 Hours. I'm so damn close, I can taste it Also Malcolm Gladwell, David Bowie meets Kanye Shit, this is dedication A life lived for art has never a life wasted Ten thousand This is my arena. The TV told me something different. I didn't believe it. I stand here in front of you today, all because of an idea. I could be who I wanted if I could see my potential, and I know that one day I'ma be him. Put the gloves on, sparring with my ego. Everyone's greatest obstacle, I beat him. Celebrate that achievement. Got some attachments, some baggage. I'm actually working on leaving. See, I observed Escher. I love Basquiat. I watch Keith Haring. You see, I study art. The greats went great because at birth they could paint. The greats were great. Because they paint a lot I will not be a statistic Just let me be No child left behind That's the American scheme I make my living off the words And do what I love for work And got around 980 on my SATs Take that system What you expect Generation of kids Choosing love over a desk You put those hours in And look at what you get Nothing that you can hold But everything that it is 10,000 Different days, same struggle, slow motion as time slips through my knuckles. Nothing beautiful about it. No light at the tunnel. But the people that put their passion before them being comfortable. Raw, unmedicated heart, no substitute. Banging on tabletops, no substitute. I'm feeling better than ever, man. What is up with you? Scraping my knuckles and battling with some drug abuse. I lost another friend, got another call from a sister, and I speak for the people that share that struggle too. Like they got something bruised. My only rehabilitation. Was the sweat, tears, and blood went up in the booth It's the part of the show where it all fades away When the lights go to black and the band leaves the stage And you wanted an encore but there's no encore today Cause the moment is now, can't get it back from the grave Part of the show, it all fades away Lights go to black Band leaves the stage We wanted an encore But there's no encore today Cause the moment is now Can't get it back from the grave 
Malik and we're talking about ADHD today with Dr. Mavi Kapana. We've talked a little bit about what ADHD is, what kind of symptoms there are and how it affects individuals both internally and externally, especially children growing up. I'm curious, Mavi, that it makes sense that if you're like a child who has inattentive features, then you won't do great at school. But you know, we have medication and we can treat most of it. What happens as as the kids grow older? Does it go away? Does it still say? Does it uh, rear its head in new forms? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic and there's loads of facets to it. So, I mean, I guess it's a really big topic. So I guess we could try and spit it up a bit to, to answer your first question. Um, you know, does it actually go away? Um, I mean, most things, it's very hard to think of something that just disappears. But obviously, if people kind of put effort in and work with the teams and with themselves and take the medication, you can reduce a lot of the symptoms. Um, With age as well, there's there's good studies out there that show that the symptoms of ADHD do get better with age. But you always have to have that scientific approach in thinking, is it just that it's age or are there other confounding factors? So, for example, are people just learning how to live with ADHD and learning what works for them? Um, Is it that the medication is helping? Um, Is it that they stop asking for help and so we just know about it less? Um, or is there that they're doing other things that are not as helpful, but that are compensating for some of their symptoms? So, for example, I think later we're going to talk about substance use in ADHD. Um, and I think that's one element of it about the age and the progression. But I think we already touched on some of the other things that happen with ADHD. And, you know, we spoke about how in children there's social isolation and interpersonal difficulties that develop. And that's a really interesting aspect of the long-term consequences of ADHD. So I think that might be a good thing to focus in on. Yeah. So, I mean, as, as a kid, you mentioned, for example, someone's impulsive and when they're waiting to cross a road, they might, for example, just run into the road, not thinking about looking right or left or, you know, uh, again, the example of school and being in, inattentive there. But then how do these core features, how do they translate into adulthood? What new forms will it take? Yeah, so I think for a lot of people, the issues are when we don't diagnose ADHD or when someone doesn't know that they have ADHD. And so they have that lack of insight into why they are, how they are. Um, And there's two aspects of this. So, for example, if you have an adult, like I mentioned before, that doesn't know they have ADHD and they still have that impulsive nature, um, that kind of lack of attention to detail and taking risks, it can become, for example, you know, you're buying a house and 
it says, you know, you can wait three months and do a survey and check all the boxes. Someone with ADHD that's not diagnosed might just be like, well, never mind, I'll just crack on with it. And then they take a future risk. But in the immediate moment, they're being quite impulsive. Same with kind of in their jobs, they might take higher risk jobs, they might be kind of more difficult to work with because they're switching from topic to topic um, and they're not completing tasks. Um, so that's in that's one of the ways. But I think the part that makes me more fascinated with what happens to children with ADHD, whether they know or they don't know about it, is the that element that we were talking about, those interpersonal difficulties, that emotional regulation, and what does that do to them long term? Um, so, for example, you know, if you have a child that has ADHD and they are having issues in school, they're having issues at home, that might really impact their attachment with their caregivers and with their siblings and with their friends. So they might struggle to form a functional attachment with their primary caregiver. There might be tensions. The mother or the father might become more resentful towards that child. And then that leads to kind of an emotional impact on that child that they might carry for the rest of their life. So that lack of strong, safe attachment because of some of the behaviors that they're exhibiting when they're children with ADHD, then become a pattern of how they relate to adult to other adults or in their relationships in the future. So that's something that then fuels kind of further social isolation, further difficulty in establishing relationships. You know, they can develop deep anxiety, depression. We see children that develop kind of conduct disorder-like behaviors, so kind of getting kicked out of school, not having a safe peer group to test their boundaries with, and all of these things, even outside the sphere of having ADHD, we know that children that have these difficulties then carry them into how their personality is formed and how they relate to other people in their adult life. I mean, just hearing uh, hearing you talk, like I was picturing someone like like a parent going telling a child that you know you never listen or what i've told you like a hundred times to do it this way or to do this task um i don't know maybe clean your bed that person that individual that child they have adhd and it's much more difficult to do those repetitive maybe even boring tasks i i can picture that relationship fracturing because of it that okay why don't they listen are they rude or am i a bad parent and then what exactly happens or if someone does have ADHD, what kind of emotional impact does it have? How are their relationships like, let's say, for example, romantic relationships? Yeah, so I guess, for example, you know, if you have someone that's married to someone that has ADHD, whether they know or they don't know, that partner might feel strained that they have to be the one organizing things. They have to look after the home. They have to remind their partner constantly to do little tasks that you would expect to have support with. They might forget appointments. They might need help with their medical care. They'll forget that they've booked on to do, you know, a special date night. And so they don't show up or they forget a work meeting. And then they bring all that stress into the relationship. Um, and I guess you need to have quite an understanding partner to accommodate that. And actually, it's, it's quite interesting because I saw someone in an adult ADHD clinic 
and they were referred to their GP and then to tertiary services because their wife had passed away and they suddenly were, you know, not paying bills, not paying their mortgage, not attending appointments. And it all came to light that actually his wife was doing all of those things and compensating for the ADHD. And it was only when the partner wasn't around anymore that it came to light that they had serious issues with organization and function. Um, and, you know, the social functioning just completely deteriorated. So I think it has quite a strain on the partner. Um, and I guess that that's one aspect that people do have to learn to deal with. You did mention some misdiagnosis as well. So, for example, substance misuse. When you say substance misuse, just basically talking about re taking recreational drugs. Why is that an appealing option for someone with ADHD? Yeah, so I think that that's two things that we can discuss. So one is, um, you know, the misdiagnosis. Um, and it, it's not just substance use, but we'll, we'll talk about substance use. But there's, you know... You, there's this diagnostic overshadowing sometimes um, with people that present with these interpersonal difficulties. So a lot of the stuff we've talked about could come up in someone who has, for example, a personality disorder, or you know they have a comorbid anxiety and depression disorder because of the difficulties they have. But people and professionals focus in on the current presentation. So the personality traits, the anxiety traits, the depression traits, the fact that they're not functioning well in society, and they forget to look at the root cause, which you know, in some cases is actually the ADHD. Um, and I've had one patient when I was working in, in with children and adolescent services where there was a girl that just kept being referred round and round again. And everyone was saying, you know, this is an emerging personality disorder. You know, that this is just her personality. It's nothing to do with her neurodevelopment. But actually, it was ADHD. And it was how she learned to interact with people and those social difficulties that had then precipitated this presentation of a personality disorder. So I think it's really important that as professionals, we keep that at the back of our head, like, is there a neurodevelopmental problem that has led to this end point? We're reaching towards the end of our segment time. Do you want to answer the second part of my question, which was around this relationship with substance misuse? Yeah, so I guess it's very common um, to have people self-medicating with substances, especially stimulants. Um, and I think, you know, we touched earlier on how the medication works for ADHD and how the ADHD brain works. Um, and so I think it's, you know, it's quite a logical conclusion why someone might find that, you know, when I take stimulants, actually, I think clearer, I'm able to slow down and think about things. Um, and, you know, you find people that say, well, I take these stimulants and I don't necessarily just take them for the high, I take them for the clarity and peace of thought. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense why they would use kind of the same as what we'd give them in medication form to process their experiences more. And I guess that's one side of it. The other side of it is you have highly impulsive individuals 
And we know that when people are impulsive, they will take more risk and drug taking is a risky behavior. So I think it's both of those elements um, that create this perfect storm in ADHD where it's more probable that there is substance misuse and addiction. The way I, I see it is more a bit about, I feel novelty seeking is, is a aspect of it. Like there's drugs can be an easy answer when you're just looking, you're like, okay, I've done this before. It's boring. Um, you know, there's something new in it. There's something fresh in it. And it would, apart from the self-medication that you said, it also seems like something which would seem entertaining to someone with ADHD. Do you think that's, that's fair to say? And I think in my view, it'd be more around the impulsivity and the the, the risk taking, um, because, you know, you, you could apply what you've just said to anyone, uh, the novelty seeking, the, the boredom aspect. Um, but I think what's more appealing to me as an explanation in an AD, in a person with ADHD is that lack of impulse control and that lack of consequence thinking and the risk-taking behavior. Is it stimulants in particular? When we're saying stimulants, I assume we're talking about things like methamphetamine, cocaine, even just like abusing these prescription drugs off prescription. Uh, are, are, are these the ones in particular that you see more? I think I think if if you're trying to answer the you know the aspect that are they self-medicating? Yes. If you're thinking about the impulsivity element, it can branch out to any kind of drug of abuse or you know taking more of your prescribed medication. We uh, do have our next song, song called Misdiagnosed, and it's by Unlike Pluto. So. We're going to leave you with that track and be back for our conversation on hyperfocus and high IQ and its relationship with ADHD. What you talking about, lady? Saying that you're gonna fail me? Is it only because you hate me? Just miss 
take off where we left off talking about ADHD and its relation to hyperfocus and high IQ. What is hyperfocus? Sounds sounds like a superpower. <laughs> it does. It's a very cool word. I, I enjoy it loads. So hyperfocus and especially in ADHD um, is a phenomenon that happens when people lock in into a certain task or topic. So people who with ADHD, as we know from our conversation already, have a difficulty in kind of staying on one task and they shift from task to task and they kind of lose focus. But when there's a topic especially focusing for them that they find really interesting um, and they find that it's kind of their niche, they're able to really, really focus on this. And that's what hyperfocus is. So you could spend hours just focusing in on their subject of choice. Um, and it's it's a phenomenon we see in people with ADHD. Um, and and I, I just think that's incredibly interesting, especially because it's been in the news and the media surrounding kind of high profile people that have ADHD and their ability to be incredibly successful because of the hyper-focus element. When you say hyperfocus, do you mean like I'm picturing someone literally reading a book or like researching deep into a topic or is it like task oriented? Like, I don't know, for example, let's say DJing, you can DJ for like four hours in a flow state. Is it like that? Yeah, I mean, so for example, I guess my my, my kind of family member that has ADHD um, is like you could spend maybe eight hours just looking up kind of engineering topics and just spend you know it's like you don't know that it's two in the morning they're still there they're down a rabbit hole on wikipedia on youtube and they're just so interested in the topic um and they're so interested in the task at hand that everything else kind of falls apart like everything else doesn't matter you, you know you don't drink you don't eat you don't interact with anyone you're just focused on the topic you're looking into um and i guess it's very Mm -hmm. It's something you wouldn't expect from someone with ADHD because you're expecting them to jump from topic to topic. And that is the you know standard operating procedure. But it you can get this phenomenon. Um, and it's what makes some people who have ADHD incredibly successful in their fields. So would it be fair to say that it's not the attending to a topic, it's switching between topics that's a difficulty? I mean, it can be both. I mean, if, if you have the, you know, the typical diagnostic criteria for a child with ADHD would be that they are switching between topic to topic and they're jumping from conversation subject to conversation subject. So this is kind of a parallel phenomenon to that diagnostic criteria that you see in, in not in all, but in some people with ADHD. And is there a relation to intelligence with that? There's been kind of um, there's been conflicting literature uh, over the years. 
Um, you know, some people say, you know, obviously you see this with people that have ADHD and they're extremely successful. They're, you know, very high up in their fields. Um, is it because people with high with ADHD end up having higher IQ or is there some sort of interplay between that? Um, and that could be the case, but also high IQ and high intelligence does mimic ADHD in some of its aspects. So, you know, individuals with high intelligence um, do show more hyperactivity and they have attention difficulties because they're so interested in so many topics and they're able to hold all those thoughts at once. They have kind of problems following rules and kind of sticking with a task. In school, they tend to get bored because maybe you know, they, they understand the concept very quickly and then they get bored with the lesson. And so they're doing other things. They're looking around, they're moving from task to task. And so they can appear like they have symptoms of ADHD, but actually it's the high intelligent aspect. Um, and I think that also translates in, you know, we do see studies that show that people with higher intelligence have social difficulties. So it also touches on our previous topic around, the social difficulties in ADHD. And so there's so many parallels that sometimes they resemble each other. I was reading this book by uh, Cal Newport, it's called Deep Work. This gentleman was like echoing the same thing that you said, that most people who have done something substantial, whether it's written a book, whether you think about, I don't know, Carl Jung, whether you think about uh, Steve Jobs, they have huge swaths of their life, which is just dedicated to like one topic for hours at a time for days on end. And pretty much what you're, I, I guess the quintessential, you know, savant picture is just someone who just, you know, just is in their books, doesn't eat, doesn't drink. There's that professor who puts, you know, the smoking pipe in their jacket and they have holes <laughs> from it. And um, so, yes, yeah, so definitely, definitely sounds like a familiar narrative. Mm. And, I, you know, th there's there's a lot of other things that could play into that. But I think this is a really interesting part of the research that's gone on around ADHD that's useful to bring up just to get people thinking about there's so many aspects. There's just a milieu of things that come in under the umbrella of ADHD research and where it's going in the future. Do we know, uh, like, exactly the pathways or the features internally, like in the brain, what, what causes hyperfocus? Do you have any explanations for it? Not, not that I'm aware of. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, that there's been uh, research gone into this. Um, I think, you know, it's all like with everything in mental health, it's all about kind of hypothesis testing and looking into why things happen, but there's so many neurotransmitters in the brain and there's so many confounding factors um, that I think I would struggle to be like, this is the one cause uh, and, and truly stand behind that. Yeah, I, I mean, even things like depression, which we've been treating and there's this whole conversation around serotonin, low mood. Now we're like, mm, but is it? Exactly. <laughs> That's a theory, but, but do we know? So I, I, I share your, uh, yeah, I, I, share, I share that ideal that, okay, yeah, we could say why it works, but then we're not going to be... Sh 100% sure either way. And it's always like healthy to challenge belief sets that we already have. I think that's kind of what makes psychiatry a bit uh, interesting and exciting as well. Yeah, well, it's what makes humans as, uh, as complicated as we are. Mm -hmm.
All right. So I feel like we're pretty much towards the end of our time together. Uh, Mavi, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us. I've had a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. So uh, I do know that you're super busy all the time, If but if anyone wants to reach out to you, is there is there any way? Uh, most guests here, they leave like a Twitter handle. Yeah, so um, I mean, my, my Twitter is fine. It's just at um, MV and then my surname, C-A-P-A-N-N-A. Um, if you have any questions or want to reach out, happy to be contacted. Yeah, I, I feel like probably a lot of doctors contact you anyway if you're working at the PMA. You're probably, <laughs> probably a source, source of like, why is this happening? So that's about it for us for ADHD. This is quite a vast topic and we discuss quite a few things, but do know that this is a general discussion and shouldn't be taken as medical advice. You can reach out to your friendly neighborhood psychiatrist or GP if you if you feel this is something that you want to know more about. Uh, you can find some links to websites which can help you in the show description. Uh, we've talked a bit about uh, ADHD and I think it was quite interesting. I was thinking back to the first time I ever heard about ADHD. I'm like, how, when did I know this phenomenon existed? And it was actually ADD that was mentioned in a uh, Blink-182 song called What's My Age Again? And uh, I, I feel that if you can indulge me as as this, as your outro track. So we'll see each other again next month and stay tuned. It was a Friday night, I walk alone to get the feeling right. We started making out and she took off my pants, but then I turned on the TV. And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And I saw more abuse by TV shows. What the hell is ADD? My friends say I should act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? Drive home, I called her mom from a payphone. I said I was the cops and your husband's in jail. The state looks down on sodomy. And that's about the time that bitch hung up on me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And I still more of these but make phone calls. What the hell is call ID? My friends say I should have my age. What's my age again? What's my age again?
Trying to get by. Yippee, yippee, I- 